Hello, hello. I'm your host, Kathleen Gomez, and this is Soak Up the Sports, a show all about summer sports in Spain. On today's episode, we're talking about what I consider one of the most interesting independent sports, cycling. Say hello to my co-host, Liad Lerner. Hello, everyone. Uh, Cycling, one of the most unique sports in the world, full of complexions and intricacies that really add up to a compelling event when they're all put together. So I'm really excited for you listeners to learn about it. From international tournaments to local races right here in Catalonia, we will cover it all. We also got to talk to a representative from an official La Vuelta riding partner, so stay tuned for that later on. Que pasa en España? Here's this week's sport of the summer, cycling. The bicycle was invented in the early 1800s. All it took was two wheels, a set of handles, a gear chain, and a seat for the rider, and a new activity was brought to life. People had a new form of transportation, a new pastime, and for some, a new sport. Competitions were quick to develop shortly after bikes were invented, with the first cross-continental ride across Europe debuting in the late 1890s, which was an era dubbed, quote, the golden age of cycling. So I'm curious, what made this period such a golden age? I mean, they didn't even have gears or lightweight tires or any of the accommodations that make cyclers so successful now. Right, but it was basically the baby boom of bike races. Dozens of major cities across the U.S. held bicycle races. Countries like Japan and France created large national races, and bikes started to become better refined, so even lesser athletic people could participate as well. Got it. So when did racing become big here in Spain? So the earliest races here in Barcelona began around the same time as the Golden Age in the 1890s, but the larger competitions came to Catalonia in 1911 with the Volta a Catalunya, which is the fourth oldest still existing stage race in the world. It's typically held in late March, and it starts somewhere in La Costa Brava, moves through the Pyrenees Mountains, and then finishes with a pass through Montjuic in Barcelona. All right, we know cycling loves its different jersey colors. Is that a thing for this competition too, the Volta? For this race, the leader of the overall general classification gets a white and green striped jersey. So the same concept, just different colors. But of course, that is nowhere near the biggest race Spain has to offer. La Volta España began in 1935 in Madrid with only 50 cyclists. 50, that's pretty small for the third biggest cycling race in the world. Very true, but La Vuelta was inspired by the biggest races in the world, the Tour de France and Giro Italia. These three races make up what's known as the Grand Tours of Cycling nowadays. They each follow the same format, and the teams hosting the Grand Tours are usually the winners. Nowadays, around 200 cyclists usually compete in La Vuelta, but this first race was a little unique because it was never actually finished. The month-long race was interrupted by effects of the Spanish Civil War, and it was followed by the Second World War, so things were made a little bit difficult. La Vuelta made its full comeback, though, after World War II ended, and over 100 cyclists rode that race. Yeah, the format of the race consists of two time trials, a passage through the Pyrenees Mountains in northeast Spain, and a stop in Madrid. Uh, Cyclists will ride for 21 day-long stages with two rest days spaced throughout. Uh, But the exact route changes every year. Exactly. And for this year's race, it's going to begin on August 14th in the northern city of Burgos, head south through cities like Molina de Aragon and Alicante, before circling back up towards Madrid and finishing on the eastern coast in Cathedral on September 5th. So what do the teams look like? So there's 22 teams of around 10 to 20 cyclers who compete and 
they're going to compete this year. Most of them are registered through UCI World Teams. Winning the race is as simple as it gets. The fastest rider and the team he represents win. But there are also smaller competitions throughout the race that riders specialize for. Sprinting, mountain climbing, and all-around are just a few, but there is also an overall award for the best team who excels the most for all of the competitions. So in a post-pandemic world, how can fans get involved in the race this year? We all saw the video of that one fan at the Tour de France who accidentally caused a big pileup when uh, a rider crashed into a th- the sign that she was holding. Yeah, that was bad. Is any of that going to be happening at the Vuelta? Bad is an understatement for what <laughs> happened there, but... Yeah. Fans are going to be allowed at La Vuelta this year, hopefully not in that same circumstance, but they will be up close and personal. I spoke with someone who actually ensures that fans get the real experience. Our role is really to bring people into the heart of La Vuelta and get them to the action of a grand tour. Um, we take them to VIP sec- the VIP sections at the start and finish lines. We ride along the same routes as the elite riders right before they Um, the stage begins and we cross the finish line just like a pro. We get the people up close and personal with professional cyclists and the prime viewing positions of the race and they really truly feel the excitement of what it is to be at the epic cycling event in Spain. This is the voice of Sarah Hazard, the sales and product manager for Bike Spain Tours. She's actually from Philadelphia, which was exciting because I got to hear an American's professional opinion on a Spanish sport. Yeah, that's really cool that she's American and into cycling. Like, honestly, it's probably the most European-centric sport that we've talked about on this show, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, I thought so, too. And as she explained, Bike Spain is the official tour operator for La Vuelta, and Sarah said cycling superfans are glad to be back near the action after last year's changeup. So last year was actually obviously really tough for a lot of people and for Bike Spain tours as well. We had to cancel all of our tours um, pretty much last minute. We weren't even sure if the Vuelta was going to happen or not, and they were the organization was able to make it happen with regular PCR testing, athlete bubbles, and there was no fan support or families allowed to um, go and cheer them on. So a lot of those cyclists missed, uh, had said that, that they had missed the crowds cheering them on, and that it was difficult to make an adjustment. Yeah, athletes in every sport were affected when they didn't have the same noise or energy of the fans that they're used to. So it makes sense that it would impact a race as big as the Volta. Exactly. And from what Sarah was telling me, cycling has been getting more and more credit ever since the height of the pandemic last year. Not just kind of grabbing your bike and going out for to get to that professional level. And um, I think the cycling industry as a whole is going to continue to uh, grow in popularity. Like I mentioned, um, during the lockdown and the pandemic, uh, it grew in popularity in Spain, not only in Spain, but around the world. It was even difficult for suppliers to keep up with the demand um, because cycling became a preferred sport for people at that time. So it seems like cycling is going to expand all around the world, but how has it developed here in Spain specifically? Is it, it was already pretty popular. Yeah, it was very popular. Sarah even told me that besides soccer, it's actually the biggest sport to bring Spaniards together. Cycling unifies the country. So the Vuelta is one of the most exciting grand tours, and that brings people together, especially mm-hmm. if there's a Spanish cyclist that is competing really well. If you ask any Spanish residents, they're very, very familiar with say Miguel Indurain or Pedro Delgado, very famous Spanish cyclist. Mm-hmm. And apart from that, Spain has also become an epicenter for training camps of the Propolitan. So places like Girona and Mallorca or Tenerife, they've all become hubs for professional riders to train. And do you know why that is? Well, because um, 
the temperature for the winter time. They come over here and in places like the Canary Islands, there's mm-hmm. a very mild temperature. And then they also have the altitude and the, the mountain climbs where they, they can train pretty hard. So Spain is the perfect place for cyclers from beginners all the way up to pros. And as a cycling enthusiast and fan, Sarah said she wants more people to try it out for themselves. After all, it's just riding a bike, right? I'd like to encourage anyone to kind of grab a bike and go for a ride, you know, use it as a form of of commuting or of a low impact form of exercising and then motivate anybody who is already biking to take it a step further and use it as a means to visit new countries or cities or to learn about new cultures. I don't think I really learned how to ride a bike until middle school, but once I finally did get it down, yeah, I was I was a late a late cyclist. Uh, but once I did actually get it down, I remember going on a few longer trips at like camp, you know, as a kid, and it was a lot of fun. <laughs> so I really hope that bikes do become more common in the U.S. Not just for sporting purposes, but also just as a healthier mode of transportation as well. Middle school, really? Yeah, it, well, I, I just I didn't have need for it, you know. Until I learned until how to I ride a bike it. with the training wheels when I was like three or four. <laughs> well, the tra- Training wheels, At of the course. standard age. Yeah, well, but I then knew. you let them go, and exactly. everybody, everybody learns how to ride a bike at some point, though. At some point. It's, it's something I highly recommend <laughs> doing. Well, special thanks to Sarah for making time for an interview. La Volta is right around the corner. Like we said, it starts this August, so I'm sure the whole nation is buzzing with excitement. She's probably got to be really busy, so thanks to her for making some time for us. But that is all we have for this week. As always, our source material is listed in the episode description. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Sound Branding Boutique. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you back next time on Soak Up the Sports. <laughs>